Hey everyone, welcome to the Cattle Menu Podcast. I'm your host, Caroline Rose, the founder and CEO of K Rose Company and Cattle Menu. Through our conversations here, we share the latest ideas and techniques to help you start, improve, and expand your farmer ranch. Join us as we visit with industry experts and cattle producers to get honest ins and outs of beef production. We'll dive into topics such as cattle handling, nutrition, cattle markets, genetics, and so much more. We encourage everyone who's involved in the industry to listen. Let's dive in. I absolutely loved this conversation with Courtney about what it takes to be involved in agriculture and how it looks don't mean anything when it comes to knowledge or skill and ability. And I encourage you to settle in and listen to our conversation about the impact that everyone can have in agriculture and why it is so important that if you want to be involved in agriculture as a community, we welcome you in because in order to feed everyone, we are going to need anyone who wants to be involved and be active in putting nutritious, healthy, and safe food on the plates. And it's a great conversation. So I am excited for you to join me in my conversation with Courtney. Welcome to the Cattle New Podcast. Today we have Courtney. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. It is not normal that we are both in Texas recording, so welcome, and why don't you just start and tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, well, thank you for having me. Um, As you mentioned, I reside in Texas, but the Texans have made it very clear that I am under no circumstances to refer to myself as a Texan. I had a a rodeo friend one time tell me, I said, well, how long do I need to live here before I can call myself a Texan? Because it's going on seven years. And he said, you need to be born here to ever call yourself a Texan. So I'm a Kansan. Um, I grew up in Kansas on a small cow calf operation. Um, my mom and dad ran a few pairs. My mom, you know, stayed home, ran the ranch, took care of my sister and I. And my dad has a couple of companies in Kansas City. So he also worked off the ranch. My grandparents um, make a soul living ranching. They run cow calves in the Flint Hills. My uncle manages and, and works with them. So it's just a family operation through and through. But I had a really cool upbringing. I grew up in rural America, but we were 15 minutes from Lawrence, Kansas, which is home to the University of Kansas. We were 45 minutes from Kansas City. So kind of had the best of both worlds and grew up showing Angus heifers all over the country, competing in high school rodeo, qualified for the national high school finals, eventually went to college on a rodeo scholarship. I went to Oklahoma State, had a great time there. That's sort of where I got into television. And yeah, that's kind of the very short and condensed version of who I am. Like I said, I live in Dallas now. I moved here several years ago for a TV job and then just never left. I just kept working my way south. I grew up in Kansas. I went to OSU and I finally made my way to Texas. Well, I'm certainly not a Texan. I'm a Montanan through and through. We've been here for a few months this summer while my dad's been going through some treatment here at MD Anderson. And I actually see uh, we've really enjoyed it. My dad probably would disagree, but um, there is a little benefit to having some warmer weather and some sun, but I can totally see why people enjoy living down here in the South. I yeah. can see why you keep creeping down here. Yeah. And you, you came at kind of a good time. How long have you, did you say you've been here? 
um, since July 4th. And so we are recording this um, at the end of August. Okay. So you were here. I mean, it's hot. You got the like hot Houston. It's funny because like Dallas is always like, oh, Houston is miserable. I would never live in Houston. And like being a non, I'm unbiased, right? Because I, I didn't grow up here. I'm like, I'm pretty sure it's hot everywhere. Houston, you just get the humidity. Yes, absolutely. So catch us up to speed kind of what your life is now. What are you doing in Dallas? So you came down Um, You took a TV job and then kind of what has that morphed into? You know, I graduated from OSU, immediately landed my first TV job. And in television, you kind of just work your way up. You know, you go from local to local to network to whatever. And I started out at a national cable network. And then I went to like local. I worked for the CBS affiliate out of Kansas City as a host. And then I eventually landed a network, I mean, a syndicated morning news hosting position here in Dallas. And so I was there for two years. And then when the show eventually was canceled, which is, you know, typical of television. I just really liked living here and I wanted to go kind of out on my own. I still wanted to do television. I wanted to do more speaking events and things. And so I essentially became an independent contractor, which the first year was a little rough. I walked dogs to pay my rent in Dallas, but I've sort of been able to build over the last three or four years, you know, pretty steady clients, speaking clients, TV clients. I work with some of the big Western sports associations, anyone from the PBR to the AQHA to the NCHA doing television work for them. And so every day is different for me. I have a two week span that I'm home right now, which is like unheard of. And I'm actually this morning got up early. I'm in the process of editing the final six episodes of a digital series that my background cowgirls partner Kai and I launched in May. I don't even know, June. I feel like I haven't done anything this year. And I look back and I'm like, oh yeah, we launched a digital series. We were in California shooting for a month. There's so many things going on. But right now um, I'm in the process of editing those final six episodes. I got back from a speaking event Yesterday, um, contracts are coming in for other speaking events starting in November. I'll I'll go to Oklahoma City for the AQHA World Show. Uh, We move in for almost 30 days. Every day is different, but I love it. I'm enjoying it. I think you said something really interesting and it has nothing to do with what you're doing right now, but I heard on a podcast, it seems so glamorous to be self-employed and I've been self-employed for going on eight years and it's awesome to look online and on Instagram, it seems like, oh, they have such this glorious life. And someone said, okay, you want to work for yourself. You need to get your hands dirty. That's the thing this generation is missing. And you want to make a lot of money right now, do sweat labor. You said you walk dogs. And it just really made me think, I heard that on a podcast recently, like we have an opening in the market right now, and that's for sweat equity. I think that that's something that anyone who's listening to this podcast can take back home is one, you need a side hustle sweat equity. You have a role in your business and you're an entrepreneur, sweat equity, wash cars, clean houses. I mean, anything like Mm -hmm. that. You need to make money. Like I'm planning a wedding right now. You need to pay for your wedding, work on the weekends. Like I think we underestimate what a little bit of manual labor can bring to building your dreams. And I just, I don't want to, like, I didn't want to let you skip over that because I think that It's so easy to see these people who it looks like overnight success 
we just have this generation who we graduate college and we have this society who it's like, okay, get a hundred thousand dollar job, but there's a lot of money to be made by getting, you know, scrubbing floors. And we've forgotten how much sweat equity can do and move people forward and provide opportunity. So I just wanted to to mention that because I think that's forgotten. I mean, I will add to that. And I think you're so right. I think the only reason that I've been able to build what I've built and be successful, obviously I worked in television exclusively for a decade, right? I went from network to network to network. It didn't matter how big I got. I got to the network, you know, syndicated level and it's still, I just like something was missing. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to go out on my own. I want to pick and choose who I work with. I want to be able to do projects. You're tied to that corporate sort of, and I just, I didn't love it. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to go out on my own. It's going to be amazing. You know, people are going to want to hire me. Like this is going to be awesome. So go out on my own. Nobody is hiring me. So I walked dogs on the WAG app. I also called up my friends in Dallas and I said, hey, do you have any clothes that you want to sell? Because I will sell your clothes on Poshmark and you get 50% and I get 50%. I was doing anything I could do to make enough money to like continue living in Dallas where I wanted to stay because I knew this was a good base. And yeah, it wasn't glamorous. Like it wasn't great. I went from a syndicated morning news host to a dog walker. I'm taking pictures of people's clothes. They're giving me trash bags of clothes and I'm like sorting through them in my apartment. But you know, it was worth it. But I think agriculture and being raised on a ranch taught me the value of sweat equity, right? And like being an entrepreneur, even right now, things are great. I'm making more money than I've ever made, but like this could end at any point, but I rest a little bit easier. I'm stressed. Let's be honest, because I know I know how to work. I know I I can go out and get a job if I need to. I can go back to the ranch if I need to, because I know how to work. And even some of the TV jobs that I'm getting, you know, the AQHA World Show is a long, long show. And it's a grind. I mean, there'll be 12, 13 hour days and I love it and I enjoy it, but like, it's a lot of work. And I think, you know, being raised in that ranching sort of community in that rural sort of, you just do it, like you figure it out. And I think that's been really key to my success as an entrepreneur and as a, as a business owner. Ladies, this one's for you. Have you been looking for the perfect planner that will help you start on the right foot, we've created the Cattleman U Planner for ranch women, wives, mothers, and daughters who are looking to improve their operation. Our planner is packed full of the tools that will help you learn more about ranching, working with others, and knowing yourself. Not only does it include a calendar, but it's also jam-packed full of intentional questions and thoughts and action items to move the needle forward. Grab yours today at kettlemanulive.com slash planner. One thing is you've started new projects. You started that one with Kaya. I don't know if you know this background, but my dad went to college with Kaya's uncle at Cal Poly. Kaya and I were now national ag ambassadors in college together. And I was not in FFA. And so I showed up at this FFA event. And so I called my dad and he's like, I'm pretty sure I went to school with those 
kids at Cal Poly. And she was like, I'm sure, you know, ages matched up. And so I met Kaya in college. And so I saw you launch this with Kaya and I have a great respect for Kaya and what she's done, but it's sort of like growing another business. It's like you yeah. start the grind all over again when you launch a passion project, like you guys have. Talk a little bit about, for those of the listeners who don't know about that project, talk a little bit about what you and Kaya are um, doing and kind of your mission behind that and what's happening in that world. I'm very much one of those people that's like, man, I can't wait to get a break. Like I just need some downtime. And then the minute I have downtime, I'm like, what am I doing with my life? I got to start something else. So background cowgirls actually happened very organically. Uh, Kaya Twistleman, who lives in California, she's sixth generation rancher from California, comes from a big ranching family had a layover in Dallas and Kaya and I are good friends. And we had met through national cattlemen's beef association and some different things. She's like, Hey, I've got this super long layover in Dallas. Like, are you in town? And I happened to be in town, which is rare. And I said, Hey, I'll come scoop you up. Like, let's go to lunch. And then I'll drop you back off. And so we're drinking wine, eating pasta, and we're just like catching up. And I was feeling very like, I love the speaking events. I love the TV, but like there, I need something more. Like there needs to be some other form of creative outlet. And Kaya was sort of saying the same thing about her business. At some point, the conversation shifts and she's like, you know, I've always wanted to rent a camper van and just like travel the world. But Brent is not really the camper van type. Brent being her husband. And we're like laughing. We're like, oh, Brent, you know, think how much fun that would be. Kai and I both love to travel. And I looked at her and I said, I would do it with you. And she's like, yeah, we should do it. And I said, yeah, let's do it. That kind of morphed into, okay, let's go on a camper van trip, but let's tell agriculture stories along the way. Because one thing that Kaya and I are very aligned on is we really believe in bringing a face, putting faces to agriculture. Yes, we want people to sort of learn about agriculture, but I know from being a journalist and and Kaya knows from all of her advocacy work, humans don't connect to like facts and figures and data. They connect to other people. And so we were like, how cool would it be if we rented a camper van and we traveled around California? Let's start there. And we just go to every state eventually sort of shedding light on people in agriculture and their stories. And so that's what we did. This was in maybe March and we sort of came up with this plan. And the first person we told was Kaya's husband, Brent. And she's like, now Brent's a realist. He's going to ground us. You know, he'll probably like, okay, girls. And we're like, okay, here's what we're going to do. Here's the plan. We're going to drive up and down. We're going to go to all these places. And he's like, this is amazing. I love this idea. And we're like, yes, Brent is on board. And he goes, honestly, there are worse things on TV. We're like, that's our slogan. There are worse things on TV. Like we're going to go for this. And he said, I think this is a great project for 2023. And we're like, no, like we're going to do this next month. (laughs) And he was like, okay. And we, I mean, we absolutely rolled with it. We were like, we have no money. We're like, okay, how do we fund this? We started a GoFundMe. We talked about it on Instagram. Farmers and ranchers, people in agriculture from all over the country sent us 20 bucks, 10 bucks, 50 bucks, a thousand bucks, helped us fund this. We rented a camper van, a 2002 Euro van that we found on Instagram. His name was Moby. We get in this camper van. We've, I fly to California and we shoot 16 stories. Everything from mental health experts to pistachio farmers to a beef producer who has a direct to beef business and she's deaf. 
we just really wanted to shed light on all the incredible people that make up agriculture. And we started in California because California is the number one ag producing state in the country, which some people don't realize. So we have lots of options. And the first six episodes are out, backroadcowgirls.com. You can learn all about it. And I'm literally in the process today of editing the final six episodes. It's just been this incredible journey. And our, our hope is that we can take this to other states. Our hope is that we can go to Europe with this someday. The goal, the overall goal is to have a proof of concept that we can pitch to Netflix, to Hulu, to Amazon, you know, to Travel Channel, to Discovery, whoever. And that's kind of what we're in the process of learning about right now. As we finish, you know, editing these final six episodes, we're like, okay, how do we fund a proper like 22 minute pilot that then we can shop out to these networks? Because the end goal is to put these stories in front of mainstream audiences. Yes, we love the agriculture industry. They've been so supportive. They're watching, they're loving, but we want these stories in front of mainstream. We want them in front of the people in Dallas and Houston and New York City, because I think that that's really the audience that we need to target, you know, with our message. Agriculture is really good about talking about agriculture amongst agriculture, but that's just an echo chamber that doesn't really get us anywhere. And so that really is our focus is getting those stories out to mainstream audiences. Well, two things that I really appreciated about what you guys have done is one, you've picked farmers and ranchers that haven't received a ton of publicity. And I appreciate that because I think we've done a good job of in the ag industry picking certain producers who get a lot of media time. And it's a double-edged sword, right? That's great because they're set up and they know how to communicate with the media. But there are a lot of people out there who have great stories to tell who don't get to tell their story. And so I loved to see new faces that I'd never even heard of, producers I've never seen, stories I've never heard. And so I loved that. And also, we are here, of course, at MD Anderson. And the nurse was asking my dad what he did. And my dad's like, oh, I'm a rancher. Just we were having casual conversation. And he said something like, are there cows out there that produce steaks? And I looked over at my dad. And my dad has been a rancher his whole life. Parents are ranchers. Brother and I are ranchers. My dad's grandkids are being raised on the ranch. And my dad just starts to explain that there's different cattle that are dairy cows. And even those cows, you know, I mean, all the whole thing very professionally. But I was like, that is how disconnected that there are people who he has come in contact with rancher every single week for eight weeks. And my dad is wearing looks like a rancher. <laughs> and he still doesn't know some of these things. There's people who are not coming in contact with ranchers. And we need this story told. And it's so easy to see that the disconnect is just growing. Mm -hmm. And Houston, obviously, it's the fourth biggest city, I think, in the US, right? Mm -hmm. But it just amazed me the language of that question. I was like, oh, and he was brave enough to ask the question, right? Yeah. I was like, oh, we got to tell these stories. I mean, it's just, we know we've heard it. We know we have to get the story of farmers and ranchers out, but it was just like proof in the pudding right there that we have to be talking. We have to be talking to our nurses, to our doctors, to people yeah. on the subway, to people in the elevator. Like we just got to be starting the conversation. Because that is sharing the story. You know, when I go and give keynotes about, hey, we've got to share ag story. We've got to sh share ag story. I talk about the work I've done in television. I talk about the Back Road Cowgirl series and I share this story. And then I say, but you don't need a digital series to share ag story. 
You don't need a social media account to share Ag Story. What your dad did is the perfect example of ways that we can sort of share our story. And here's the thing, you know, I tell people like to us, the whole does brown milk come from brown cows makes us giggle. But here's the thing. Somebody once said to me, Courtney, you knew how to drive a car. I said, yeah, I know how to drive a car. They're like, okay, you've been driving a car for like probably a while. You're probably pretty decent at it. And I said, yeah, of course, like I can drive anything. I can drive a tractor, whatever. They're like, okay, so what if we put you in an F1 car or what if we put you in a race car, like a NASCAR car. Would you know how to drive it? I'm like, no. And they're like, would you maybe ask a question like, where is the gas pedal? Like that, you just don't know what you don't know. And I think what I see in agriculture, and I'm guilty, like we've all done this at one point, right? Is we hear questions like that. And instead of being kind and wonderful like your dad and saying, okay, so the black and white ones, that's where your milk comes from. Those are called dairy cows. Instead of having a really basic conversation, we just like roll our eyes and we're like, oh my God, the consumer consumers are such idiots. Like how could they not... They don't know what they don't know. It's not their job to know. It's our job to teach them and to share our stories. And I always sort of put it back on agriculture. And I say, look, we talk about the disconnect, but like that's on us. We're the ones that have to be having these conversations and sharing these stories. And so, yeah, I think that's a beautiful example though. Like sharing the story can be your dad, you know, at MD Anderson talking to a nurse that's sharing a story because that nurse will go on. And the next time they're having steaks at their family dinner, that nurse is going to remember that. That conversation. And then that nurse might share with their family and their family, you know, it's just like this trickling and it just grows and grows and grows. Yeah. And actually my dad told them that he said, if you guys cure me, which it's a highly curable cancer. So he said, we're going to have MD Anderson week in Montana at the ranch. And he said, all of you are invited because they all just keep saying, you guys ride horses and you have cows. My dad's like, absolutely. So he's like, I'm going to have a week where all of you nurses and doctors who want to come to Montana and fly fish and ranch for the week. And of course, we don't know if any of them will take us up on it. But I always think about that with telling our story and advocating and the things you do on social media that it's like we we want to grow these platforms and you have an incredible platform on social media. And we'll get to that next and kind of the movement you've made there. But if we could just talk to one person in the grocery store, or one person at church, or one person that we run into on the subway or, you know, dropping their kid off at school. It's the first week of school for a lot of kids. If we could have one meaningful conversation this week, that's going to make someone remember a point in agriculture that or answer their questions, or just have one meaningful interaction. I think that's what matters. We don't need 10,000 people or 100,000 people. We need one thing that really is concrete and memorable. And I think oftentimes we think that we have to have influence. And instead, it's just one thing that's going to make a big ripple effect. And it's that one moment that they go back in. It's just interesting how the human body and how we're designed. We had an interesting experience. So my dad met someone. My dad's an interesting character. My dad met someone on a plane who happens to ranch south of Houston. And the guy said, when you're at MD Anderson, call me and I'll show you around the ranch. So we did. We went down there yesterday. We were having this conversation about north, south, east, and west, and I promise I'll get to the point. But my dad, my dad said, do you know which way is north? The moment he said that, I put myself in my fourth grade classroom, and I asked my dad, I said, do you remember when you learned north, south, east, and west? And he said, no. And I said, I learned it in fourth grade. 
He said, that's really interesting that you remember that. And think about how memorable that memory is to me. If you can have that impact on someone about their food source, that every time they bring up beef or every time they bring up how corn is produced or anything like that, that they actually transport themselves back to that conversation. That's what you want to happen. And so anytime that you can impact someone, that's influence. And so it's not about having 10,000 people that follow you or whatever. It's that one-on-one conversation. You're on the phone with the auctioneer, the ringman, the sale barn, the catalog designer, the photographer, the videographer. And on top of that, you need to market your sale so you can get potential buyers in the seats. If managing all of that sounds like a lot of work, you're right. K-Rose Company is your one-stop shop for all things marketing production sales. With over seven years of experience, we know just what it takes to manage the sale day, get more customers to notice your bulls, decrease costs, and increase your average. Get your free quote by visiting our website at krosecompany.com slash production dash sale dash marketing. But what I think you do really well is you have a huge following on social media, but you still have those one-on-one conversations and you've used your social media following to have a ripple effect. And so I'm really curious about how you've done that so intentionally. So talk a little bit about how you built your following on social media and how you really made sure to continue that one-on-one impact as your following's grown. Yeah. You know, I think for me, sort of when I left television, I guess, full-time working every single day at a network, I really wanted to like sort of get back to my like cowgirl roots. But I was living in Dallas. I moved to New York City. Like I was living in these big cities and I just kept thinking like there has to be a way to connect these two things my upbringing and and the life that I'm living now. And and that's really how Fancy Lady Cowgirl was born. You know, Fancy Lady Cowgirl, my sort of personal brand, my lifestyle brand, this community that I built really just says like you, you can have both. Like you can live in a city and still really, really love rural America. And you can still advocate for agriculture. And I, if you follow me on social media, like I'm not showing what's happening on the ranch on a day-to-day basis because I don't have, I don't live on the ranch. I don't have access to my ranch on a day-to-day basis, but like you can still have those conversations. And so I've just tried to be really mindful of like, how do I bridge the two? You know, how do my two lives sort of intersect? How does agriculture trickle in to everything that I'm doing on a daily basis, living in a major city and just sort of started there. And for me, it's always been about keeping alive the legacy of my family. I may never go back to the family ranch, but I had to find a way to carry on my grandfather and my uncle and my mom and dad's legacy. And for me, that's sharing Ag's story. Like that, I believe is the role that I was put on earth to do is to be the storyteller, to be the person that people can come to and ask the silly questions. Like, where does a steak actually come from? Or like, how do I know if my cowboy hat's on backwards or not? And can I wear a cowboy hat? Like I want to, I'm trying to be that person. 
person, the person that you can come to with questions that might seem silly, the person that's transparent about the good and the bad of the industry. And I guess that's, I don't know, my following just sort of started to grow really during the pandemic. It was 2020 before I really started to like tap into the power of social media. I'd always kind of like, I posted on social media, but I was like very unintentional about it. I really honestly wasn't super into social media, but During 2020, I had a lot of time on my hands, as did a lot of us. You know, I wasn't on the ranch, so I'm sitting in an apartment. I'm not allowed to leave, you know, and I started to sort of dive into social media a little more and and storytelling. And then I went home, you know, for a month and did work on the ranch and I documented a lot of it and just shared it. And the response was really cool. You know, people from all walks of life that were like, oh my gosh, you're the girl we watched on TV. Like we had no idea that you could do that. Like you can ride a horse, like you can do, you know, and it just started the conversation and just, it just grew from there. Yeah. And I think one of the things that you really show is it doesn't really matter what you look like in any aspect you show a lot about it's what you can do. And I get that a lot when I show up in the sale barn. And my dad and I always have a running joke because I'll show up in the back of the sale barn. So I buy kettle for a living as well as run a marketing company. And the first few years that I bought kettle, they would stop me and say, can we help you? And I would say, no, I'm just looking at the kettle before the sale starts. And they'd say, well, you're not allowed to be back here. So I'd have to call up at the front and say, can you tell them that I can look at the kettle before the sale starts? But it's just really funny about appearance and what judgment people make. And I think on both sides of the coin, right? If you're not dressed quite nice enough, or if you're overdressed, there's just this stigma that particularly women have to deal with in the industry. And um, you've really brought to light some of that. And it should be more about what you can do versus what you look like. Yeah, that's actually how Fancy Lady Cowgirl was born. I was sharing agriculture stories sort of on the side on my Facebook page, um, stories about things that were happening that the mainstream media just wasn't talking about, right? Because mainstream media rarely talks about what's happening in the flyover states. And so I sort of started telling stories on my Facebook page about wildfires and some of the different challenges that our ranchers in America were facing. And several of them went viral. You know, the first one had over a million views, second one had 7 million views, you know, and I just kept telling more and more stories and groups started reaching out, asking me to come and speak. That's kind of how my speaking career began very organically. But as I shared these stories, you know, my following started to grow and agriculture, you know, they're sharing them on the ag channels and they're having me on podcasts and people are interviewing me and like things were sort of taking off. And What people didn't realize is that I was writing and editing these stories in an apartment in Manhattan, in New York. You know, what they didn't realize is that I didn't live the lifestyle that I was talking about. And I posted a photo one day, I was headed to New York Fashion Week, and I I posted this photo on my Facebook. And I don't even know what it like, you know, headed to New York Fashion Week, like love living in the city, blah, blah, blah. And I got all of these messages that said, oh, wait, what? We thought you were like an actual cowgirl. You're a fraud. I got messages that said, oh, so wait a minute, you've been like talking about agriculture, but you don't even live in rural America. So you couldn't possibly understand what's actually happening here. And they wrote me off. I mean, like I was like canceled before canceling people was cool. Right. And I just couldn't believe it. I was like, man, like I tried so hard to fit into the city and the world of television. You know, I hid the cowboy hat. I hid the cowgirl side of me. Then when I started telling agriculture stories on the side and trying to like sort of dip my foot back into that community that I love so much, the minute I didn't look the part or live the part or just be who they thought I needed to be, they wrote me off. 
And Fancy Lady Cowgirl really was, it started as a hashtag that I used. I reposted the same photo and I said, look, you can live in the largest cities in America and you can still be a crucial part of agriculture. The hat on your head does not define you. The boots on your feet do not qualify or disqualify you to be a voice for this industry. And what I realized is that there were so many other people who also felt the way I felt. You know, I always kind of thought I was an oddball because like I grew up on a ranch, but then I decided to go into TV. I'm living in New York. I'm flying to LA. Like I had this double life. And I thought that that's sort of why I felt like I never really fit in in either place. What I discovered is there were hundreds and thousands of people around the world. I got messages from Australia, New Zealand, Mexico, Canada that said, oh my gosh, we have always felt like we don't quite fit in, or we've always felt like we can't wear a cowboy hat because, well, we don't actually have a horse or ride a horse. Like we love the lifestyle. We identify with cowgirls and cowboys, but like somebody told us we can't call ourselves that because we didn't earn the right to call ourselves a cowgirl or a cowboy. And it just like the messages just kept coming in. And so I started posting about that more and more and more. I started taking photos in high fashion. I love fashion. I started dressing up in like high fashion clothes and then throwing on a cowboy hat and taking pictures in a barn to start the conversation that like you don't have to look a certain way. You don't have to live a certain lifestyle because here's the thing. Having been in an urban, I've lived in a a major, I've lived in one of the biggest cities in America for at least the last eight years. So I've been able to see both sides. And I think that there's such a need for agriculture to be a little more accepting of people who don't necessarily look the part or live the lifestyle, because I think we have so much value because we understand, right? We're like that chameleon that understands both. We can help connect producers and consumers and So that's kind of how Fancy Lady Cowgirl was born. And, and, you know, still to this day, it's been two years since I really started pushing this Fancy Lady Cowgirl message. And even today I get messages. Oh my gosh, that girl's a buckle bunny. Like she's probably never worked a hard day in her life. Oh, she says she grew up on a ranch, but like, I'm sure it was daddy's money. You know, I get those comments all the time, but that just goes to show that there's still so much work to be done. And so that's why I continue just hammering on it and hammering on it. Because at the end of the day, why am I doing all this, right? It's to keep my family's legacy alive. At the end of the day, I'm doing this because I don't want to see this industry die. The average age of the American farmer is 65 years old. It is a dying industry. They don't, they truly don't make them like my pappy anymore. And if we're going to continue producing food for the world, like if we're going to continue to hold on to those traditions that we're holding on to so tightly, we're going to have to start having some non-traditional people step in. And I guess that's really kind of what I'm trying to be the beacon for. Like, you know, you can be a cowgirl and live in the city and and you can be a cowgirl who lives in the city who's vital to rural America. And I think just sort of showing people that there is a place for us all. And that's really, you know, Fancy Lady Cowgirl, what I've tried to do is say, hey, if everyone's writing you off, if they say you don't fit the part, you didn't earn the right to be here, you're first generation, you'll never make it in this industry. Like you don't get it. You don't know how hard, you know, the work's going to be. Like Fancy Lady Cowgirl is a place that you can come because everyone is welcome to sit at my table. Everyone is welcome to be a part of the conversation, the Fancy Lady Cowgirl conversation. And so that's really what I'm trying to build. It's always been a challenge for me because we have more people to feed. If you want to feed people, 
or provide fiber. We need you. And it's going to take all kinds and they're going to look different and they're going to act different. And we're going to need everyone who wants to be involved. And my dad and my brother have always said that one of my biggest strengths is the way I think. And I think that as an industry, we have to realize that people's biggest strength is thinking differently than the rest of us. And that's one thing that I think that your movement really brings is we, everyone who wants to be in this industry, we have to add more people. We have to widen our circle of influence because there's just not going to be enough food if we don't. We're not going to be able to feed everyone. If we don't bring everyone who's interested in producing food to the table, we're all on the same playing field. Let's all join together and let's do it together. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, just celebrating the people who came before us, you know, your father, my father, my grandfather, my my uncles, my aunts, but also like celebrating the people who are coming into it. I don't know why, but this popped into my mind. Rick Ross, the rapper, like Rick Ross, you know, the 90s, whatever. Several months ago, somebody sent me a video and Rick Ross is on his phone and he's like videoing. They're unloading a cattle trailer at his place. And he's like, and he's like yelling and he's so excited. And I'm pretty sure he called this. It was a really nice, like looking Angus bull. And I actually did some research and it came from a like well-known ranch. I can't remember what part of the country, but he's like, look at my cow. And he's like videoing, but I thought that is what we need. Like we need this mega mogul rapper, whatever. We need to celebrate those people. Who cares if he called his bull a cow, like whatever, right? He has 180 million followers on Instagram who are like, dang, Rick Ross got a cow? Like maybe I need to get a cow. You know what I mean? Like we have to celebrate those people. I, several months ago, or maybe it was last year, Beyonce. Lover or hater, I don't care. I I don't I like some of her music. I'm not necessarily like a Beyonce, a beehive girl, whatever. She was on the cover of Harper's Bazaar in a cowboy hat. And I posted it and I was like, this is cool. This is awesome. It was on right. It was well-shaped. Like Beyonce, she's she's one of the biggest names in the world. There's people that follow me who got so upset that Beyonce dared to wear a cowboy hat for a myriad of reasons. But when I posted it, My point was this, if Beyonce influences 50, 5, 10, 500,000 of her 200 million followers to go out and buy a cowboy hat, guess what? They're supporting our Western stores. If they see this campaign that Beyonce is doing that involves real black cowboys and cowgirls, they might see this and see them wearing this cool Adidas stuff and be like, dang, there's a rodeo coming to New York City. Like, do you see Beyonce? I'm gonna buy tickets to that rodeo because like Beyonce said rodeo is cool. So like, I'm gonna go to the, we have to start celebrating that. And I think in the agriculture industry, we're so quick to just write people out. Like, well, Beyonce's never, she probably never worked on a ranch. I bet she doesn't know how to ride a horse. She worships the devil. Her music's terrible. Like, that's not, we miss the point. You know, my point always is we have to celebrate when people do things like that. And if you hate Beyonce, then fine. She's not the example, you know, but like there are so many examples of people in mainstream culture who are trying to dip their foot in in some way. Maybe they're just wearing a cowboy hat in a photo shoot. Maybe they're like Rick Ross and they're actually purchasing cattle from an American rancher. You know, those are the kinds of things that I think we really need to celebrate. And what I see so often in agriculture is we're like, oh, well, he just has a lot of money. He's not going to actually know what to do with those cattle. How do we know? We're just so 
to judge and to write people off. And I know this and I can say this because I've experienced it. You've experienced it. You're not allowed to be back here. Well, this is what I do for a living. I'm buying cattle. Well, mm, you're, you can't be back here. You know, me. Oh, she's look at that outfit she's wearing. She probably has never worked a day in her life. We are so quick to judge people and it's at our own detriment. The only people we're hurting at the end of the day is us, is ourselves. And so Fancy Lady Cowgirl, I really have just pushed like open-mindedness. Yes, there's good. Yes, there's bad. But I think there's so much more good that we could welcome into the industry if we would just be a little more open to people who look different, who think different, who act different, who have different lifestyles. Yeah. And the thing with like, you know, Beyonce and the rapper, I mean, think about Beyonce. If people go to rodeos and rodeos make money and the stock contractors make money and the participants make money and the concessions make money and it's more jobs, it's like it's a 1% win for a bunch of people. And with the rapper, there's probably a ranch manager who makes money and a small town vet who makes money and a truck driver who makes money. And it's like the industry as a whole, it's a win. And it's just like same with when an oil guy here in Texas, who has no ag background buys a ranch. We don't put them on blast, but how many times does that happen? And it's very similar money probably, right? And very similar situation. But for some reason, one is acceptable in our eyes and the other one is not. And so I think a lot of times we don't think about the cause and effect, but anytime someone owns a cow and they call a vet, that's a win. Because that small town vet now has a job and has some income. And I think I think you're right. We just oftentimes, if it doesn't look, it doesn't fit the cookie cutter. We we're like, whoa, 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 what's going on? This doesn't fit and it feels uncomfortable. And so we're gonna say something about it instead of saying, Okay, is this a win? Does this potentially have a way to be a win? How can we look at this a little bit differently? And how can we make this a win for the industry as a whole? Even if it makes us a little bit uncomfortable or if it makes someone else a little bit uncomfortable, but there's no harm done. Yeah, I agree. You know, another one that comes to mind is Teton Ridge. You know, when when Teton Ridge sort of first came onto the scene, there was immediate conversation about where is the money coming from? They're backed by this group. They're backed by this group. Well, I read this about the owner. Well, I read, I think they're actually funded by it immediate, immediately. And I told, I get it, right? I understand we've got to be careful. We need to do our research. It's okay to be a little bit protective, but I was sort of chuckling to myself the other day, you know, the announcement of this new edition at the American. With the NCHA, the AQHA, the NRCHA, it's really cool. Like they're doing, you know, they've, they've got the American and now they're bringing in the performance horse guys. I'm like, man, this is amazing. Like this is changing the game for Western sports. And I was sort of reading some of the comments and a lot of, you know, this is incredible. Oh my gosh, this is amazing. And I, I, I literally, I was like, wow, these are the same people who are on the train that six months ago were doing blasts about Teton and, oh, they're going to, they're coming in to ruin. I don't know. I don't, I've done my research. You do your research, but I think they're a prime example of something that could be so great. It could potentially change the game, you know, forever as we know it, it could change Western sports as we know it. You know, our athletes might inch a little closer to real professional athletes in terms of money and endorsements and things. And I think that we just have to be a little less judgmental. We've got to be a little, like do our research. It's okay to be cautious. We need to be willing to give people a chance and to give groups a chance. And so, you know, that's, 
that's another sort of example. If maybe the Beyonce and the Rick Ross one didn't hit home, you know, think of Teton and what they're trying to do and what they've done. You know, so far they've backed up their word and they're doing what they said they want to do, which is keep the Western industry alive. So, you know, maybe in six years, this podcast won't age well. And they'll be like, well, Teton was the demise of the agriculture. You know, I don't know, but I choose to see the good and to see what they could potentially do and to see the excitement that they're bringing. And I just think, I think it's cool. It's really cool. And I'm glad that we're giving them a chance. Absolutely. Well, I think this has been really great conversation. What are some things you have coming up in the future? So I am madly planning my second Fancy Lady Cowgirl event. So we have, gosh, at last count, it's like 17 states and three countries, women from three countries. I have a Canadian and an Australian coming to my Fancy Lady Cowgirl event. Um, It's October 18th and 19th in Weatherford, Texas. I'm very excited about that. Um, I've added a half day and really this event is, it's open to all women and it's, it's just everything we've talked about. Let's get inspired. Let's um, hear from other powerhouse ladies who are doing it different. You know, let's figure out how we can be a part of the conversation in our own unique ways. And we're just going to have some fun too. You know, we've got a chef coming. um, So I think it's going to be really fun. So I'm planning for that. And I'm hoping, fingers crossed, that early 2023, I will finally get to do some international travel again. um, I love to travel. I've been all over the world. It's something I really enjoy. But the pandemic just really put a squash on that. And so I have blocked off January on my calendar. And I'm hoping um, to get to do some traveling. But just speaking events, um, television events, all the things. Great. Well, thank you so much. I'll be sure to put all of your links and everything in the show notes for our audience, but I appreciate your time today. And it was always great to chat. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Cattleman U podcast. Don't forget to subscribe at cattlemanulive.com slash podcast or wherever you listen to podcasts and be sure to review when you get there. We are excited to learn alongside you and remember the grass is greener where you water it.